Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 412. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest today, Rachel Branke. I got it right twice. Listeners, you've heard me. I, I can, I've said my own name wrong, Rachel. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, well, you know, but when you're so excited to get going, I totally understand. Oh my, yeah. And sometimes you just forget to say a complete sentence like that. <laughs> Considering how I, I didn't even give you like a real introduction, I would love if you would do yourself justice and just let the listeners know who you are and where you've come from to get to where you are today. Oh, man, it's a big story. But the highlights are I am an entrepreneur. I'm a lawyer and a business consultant. I have my own law firm and then a couple online niche blog sites that help people in specific industries with the legalities, business strategy, and those sort of things. I also am a wife and mother of five children and two rescue puppy dogs. And I also compete as a Team USA athlete in the sport of triathlon. That's pretty much me. You guys, and, I, and we'll wrap it up and I'll give you more at the end of the episode, kind of how you can reach out if you have any questions on anything I say. But I'm the only Rachel Branky on the internet right now. So you'll be able to find me. I'm easy to find. Okay. You just loaded me up with so much content. I forgot to say in the pre-chat to you, listeners have heard me do it over and over again. I tend to stack questions and comments. It just all like implodes in my brain and then sometimes makes it into my mouth like a big jumbled mess. But I had forgotten that you're a mom of five plus everything else. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, and this is not really relevant to everything else. Were the five a surprise like they were to me? So I'm an only child and my husband comes from a family with four half brothers and a stepbrother. And when we met, we were like, ah, oh, we don't want to have kids. God goes, ha ha. And uh -huh, the he does <laughs> all the time in my life. The first was a surprise. And then I was diagnosed with cancer while I was pregnant with him. And we were like, well, let's give him a sibling if we can do it. It took a while. It took four and a half years of treatments and prayer to really get there. So then we had our daughter. We're like, oh, this is perfect. We'll stick with two. We had one boy, one girl. Mm -hmm. God again goes, ha ha. And we got number three. And at that point, we're like, well, what's a couple more? But then once we got to five, we were like, uh, our van is maxed out of space. So I think we're good here. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. When my husband and I met, we each had two and he didn't want to get remarried and he didn't want any more kids. And then, no, no. <laughs> so then he had the genius idea of having one more and it took multiple miscarriages to get to her. And we're like, okay. And we bought our house, which is perfect for the kids that are with us at least half time. His older two aren't with us. And we're like, okay, that's it. Let's make it official. And then God laughed and the doctor said, you're going to want to wait nine months because you're pregnant with twins. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So seven or five plus two. Yeah, that wow. just came out. Not how I planned. But yeah, I never pictured myself one as a mom of five. Never me. Never. <laughs> not really as a business owner. Certainly mm -hmm. not a podcaster and put them all together. And blah. Right. Like, how do you? People ask me all the time, but I have to say you're the first conversation. Well, no, I guess a couple other guests have had a lot of kids too. So how do you do all that you do? Because the question that I get all the time is, how do you do it all? And I always had to say, I don't, right? So mm -hmm. how do you do all that you do? So I actually love this question because it allows to open the door to explain to people that you just do with what you have and, and go for what you want. I mean, this is the thing too. When I give my background and how I have multiple businesses, you're looking at this snapshot of now that I can say that. I didn't set up all these multiple businesses. They didn't have all these kids at one time. So we're looking at almost 13 years in the making here. But in order to even be able to set up a business, have a baby, set up another business, have a baby, I have a really good support system at home. I have a really good team that I have built. And I say team, it makes it sound extremely large. We're a very intimate, small team, but we all take 
really big ownership over the tasks that we have. We work really well together. And then just at the end of the day, for all of that to work, I schedule everything. In fact, we start with my husband and I sit down and we kind of in with our kids because our older ones can input into this now too. But they will talk about what we want to do for the next year together, you know, family trips, home improvements, what goals do we have as a couple, what goals do we have as a family, and all of that will go into the schedule first. And that also include with my Team USA competitions and traveling for races, I'll put all the training into the schedule, I'll put all of those. And then honestly, business has to fit around those. I affectionately call this putting the rocks first. Just imagine your time is a vase, clear vase, floral vase, whatever you want it to be. But the rocks are the key things like I just outlined. What my family wants to do, what we want to accomplish together, what I want to do for self-care, anything that's important because I want to make sure. And I learned this the hard way in setting up my businesses in the very beginning. It's super easy to succumb to fear and want to work all the time. I feel like you have to hustle, hustle, hustle. Well, I think you can hustle, but you don't have to hustle all the time. And so we take these rocks and we identify what's really important to us. And, and really, it's just this is more of a fun visualization of what a calendar would be. And we put those rocks into the vase first. And then the sand that we're going to pour into the vase is going to be all the business stuff. You know, I love business. I'm definitely a type A and definitely an entrepreneur. But I want to put the business stuff in last because if I try to do it in the inverse, if I took this empty vase, which represents my time, and I poured in the sand, which is the business obligations and everything I need to do first, it's going to be very difficult for me to fit in these big rocks into the vase. I'm going to be fighting against the sand. And, and I just would rather that those rocks be my foundation because that's the whole reason that I even got into entrepreneurship in the first place. I started doing this when... I was pregnant with the first and that's when we had found the cancer and I thought to myself, if I make this through cancer and it's been 11 plus years now, I don't want to spend my life working away for somebody else and fulfilling someone else's dreams and goals. And so I always try to remember that. And it's easy to get swept away and distracted into the hustle and the grind and all of that. But you I can just, say I that can again. Think, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, and I don't blame anybody. I'm not judging anybody when I say that. Because I just shared with you guys that I fell victim to that in the beginning mm -hmm. and still sometimes too. And my team or my husband will say, what about the rocks? And it just kind of brings me back to focus on really what's important. Yeah. I learned that the hard way myself. I mean, I kept on pushing off a doctor's appointment that was so necessary mm -hmm. until I actually, I wound up in the hospital because I kept on pushing it off. We can't do that to ourselves. Mm -mm. And this is totally off topic, but I have to ask, have you ever taken your family to Disney World? We're huge Disney fanatics. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know. and I have to talk at some point <laughs> because I was just looking into that last week. Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to find an affordable, if that's even possible, way to do Disney, like stay on grounds with five kids. You can do it. It's a little expensive, but it's all about planning. So like that's mm -hmm. one of the rocks that we look at for the year. We carve out the time. We know that we need to have a certain amount of money for it. And it's something that's important to us because right now with the ages of our kids, it's the one thing, there's a 10 year age gap between the oldest and the youngest. And okay. so it's kind of like the one thing that brings us all together. That we what all is the age range? And the oldest, he's about to be 13. Mm -hmm. And we have eight, six, they just had birthdays, six, four, and three. Okay, hear mm -hmm. that. My oldest is about to be 16. Wow. And the twins are three. Mm-hmm. So I do have to say, I feel sometimes like it was the right way to do it because the older ones want stuff mm -hmm. and now they have chores. So stuff that needs to get done around the house gets done. Mm -hmm. Allowance isn't always as reliable as it probably should be. But <laughs> I did actually just read an article that said chores actually help children become more responsible as adults. Mm -hmm. which I, I think, completely agree with yes. that. I mean, they know how to cook and do laundry and use the broom and all types of other stuff. So it's amazing. So you have your blogging sites. You also have your own law firm. Mm -hmm. How do you manage stuff at home with everything that you, I mean, I know you said you your team, I love that you said it's a small, intimate team, because that's exactly what I have. But there's all types of stuff at home as well. Grocery shopping, kids mm -hmm. activities. I know those are your rocks. But what does a weekly schedule look like for you? I know that's a big question. 
chaos. No. So what's interesting is I love this question because I feel like some of the things you identified, like uh, grocery shopping and what are some other things, house cleaning, these are things that I identified really early on in my entrepreneurial career that I don't like those tasks. And so I, I made it a goal in the very beginning that I wanted part of the income that I brought in to help pay for that because I could spend six hours cleaning the house or I could spend six hours building my business. And it was cheaper and more efficient for me to hire someone to clean. And then I'm also supporting another fellow small business owner, which I super love that. So for us, we do have someone that helps to clean the house. I do online grocery order. So pick up, um, there's either Walmart or Wegmans. There's a couple different ones in town. You have Wegmans? We do. Where are you located? Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's about 45 minutes south of D.C. We just got the Wegmans in the last Mm. few years, though. Listeners, if you have not ever visited a Wegmans... I grew up in Rochester, which is Wegmans' hometown, mm-hmm. and I miss Wegmans. I didn't realize that you could order online with Wegmans. Mm-hmm. And they also have delivery, so you could what? have it. Del- yes, that's relatively new for our area. Uh, it's not through Wegmans. It's through Instacart, mm-hmm. and they'll pick up, like, for – we also have Giant here. They'll do Giant, CVS, Wegmans, PetSmart even. And so I don't, I haven't used it a lot because we're so close to those locations that one of us can just go pick it up. I'm also fortunate that my husband works from home as well for his job, which there's flexibility, but not, he really has to be at the computer. He has to be on the phone doing work. Not that I don't, but I just have a little bit more flexibility. And then we also host foreign exchange students who are here and go to school and they help with the children. So she will typically pick up the groceries for me while she has the kids and they just make it a trip. And that cuts down on a lot of hours per day for me. So a typical week, um, they, she helps with the kids. I get some work done, but the evenings are 100% us. And that's typically kids activities or family time. Right now we're in the thick of summer. They're all out of school, which our oldest is homeschool, but the other ones still go to school. And it's just craziness right now, but I love it. I really do enjoy this season of life. It is definitely fun, isn't it? Like I, the one who's about to be 16, I'm, I live in Ohio now and he is eligible to get his permit now. Oh my goodness. I know it's too scary for me. <laughs> And he's not pushing for it. So I'm like, okay, but I have to tell you, I can't wait until the day that that driver's license is in his hands. Mm-hmm. So I can say, go pick up the groceries because we have Kroger here and we can order online and then we can just go through their drive through thing. Mm-hmm. And because I found that every time I go into the store, there's other things that wind up in the cart. Yes. And mm-hmm. heaven forbid, I send my husband. I mean, I send him <laughs> with a list of four and he like, that should be $40. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's $150 worth of stuff, including four packages of 12 donuts at you know six (laughs) dollars a pop that we really didn't need Mm -hmm. in any stretch of the imagination well you know we started we got into kind of the situation that we're in incrementally i mean i wanted to offload the cleaning i wanted to offload the grocery shopping a bit but i still was faced with that I have kids in three different schools, which are all around the county in different locations. And so that was a lot of driving, pick up and off. And for us, the way we actually started into this, I was realizing that I was wasting so much time doing that. Even with outsourcing as much as I could, there's still tasks that I have to do in my business, right? I have, I'm the voice. I can't not be on phone calls with clients or do podcasts, et cetera. So we actually started this whole process with, there was a local entrepreneur that I had worked with. She was one of my clients and she goes, I want to quit my nine to five, but I need to be able to have something that's flexible. So she actually came in part-time into our home. She didn't live with us, but she came in to help us. And so it helped me with the pickup and drop off, taking kids to school, bringing them home, dropping them in activities for me. And then she was able to also transition into her entrepreneurial journey. And it's super exciting to see that because now she has a family, she's supporting them with that. And I just love that I was able to have a hand in that. But it also, she helped us and showed us that it was just way less stressful when I had, it takes a village. It really does. When you, (laughs) when you're raising a village, it takes a village. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Tweetable right there, listeners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to go back into your business. What are some of the biggest legal mistakes, and I mean this in a positive way, just for enlightenment mm-hmm. and for the listeners that you see entrepreneurs making? Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing, and this is how I even got into doing this, is that entrepreneurs fall into one of two camps. Either they just don't know what they don't know, which is why I have the resources I do, 
or they're so paranoid and really understand the legal stuff that they don't do anything about it. And for me, I don't have judgment either way. I was there. I didn't start out doing this as a lawyer. In fact, my very first business that I owned was an apparel store. And then I was doing business consulting. I had my MBA as well. But I wasn't a lawyer, so I didn't come out the gate the decade plus ago knowing the right things to do. So for me, when people come to me, and I'll get to the top things here in a second, just know that you're not alone. If you're listening to this when I run through these few tips, you're not alone. Another thing, common thing that I see with many entrepreneurs is they're not even sure if they're really going to stick to the entrepreneurial thing. I mean, of course, you ask someone, do you want to be successful with this? They're going to say yes. But I'm sure, and I was the same way, many of us think, oh, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. I don't even know if this is actually going to become profitable and sustainable for myself or my family. And oftentimes because of that, they don't even seek out the information that's needed. And like the top things that I've been seeing lately is just the very basics of setting up a proper legal structure, insulating yourself from liability. If you just set up as a business and you're acting like a business in the United States, you default as what's called a sole proprietor. The unfortunate thing with that is that there's not a lot of division between your personal assets and your business assets. In fact, there's no division. So if you do something in your business and you have an upset customer or a client and you get sued, which hopefully would never happen, they could touch your personal Whereas if these entrepreneurs will look at these other structure options like an LLC, a limited liability company, or a corporation, and kind of understand how those work, they can help to insulate themselves. And there's also tax benefits that come along with those. But that's the first choosing of a proper and setting up of a proper business structure. The other one, since many of us are obviously dealing with customers in some form or fashion, whether you're selling a product or a service, you don't have proper terms outlined, whether you're using like services contracts with clients or purchase terms for the products you're selling. And, and it can just cause issues with the clients or the customers. It can leave you open for liability, mismanaged expectations. So I always recommend the second on the list after the legal formation of the business is also to look at what documents that you have in your business. And the third really, really common thing that I'm seeing a lot is Entrepreneurs not understanding how intellectual property works, how when you see an image on the internet, you can't just take and go use it on your Instagram feed to promote your shop. Or if someone does it to you, what are your rights to stop someone else from doing that? So learning copyrights and trademarks and recognizing the proper legalities for that can really keep you out of hot water. Copyright infringement, which is the taking of someone's, it could be their blog post, a social media post, their logo, an image, music, screenshotting it, right-click saving it, or you know using it on your Facebook, your Instagram, your website, and marketing materials. You could end up being sued for infringement. And copyright infringement is one of the most rampant things that I'm starting to see, whether it happens to you or you as the entrepreneur do it just because you don't know, because you don't know what you don't know, right? It's becoming a really big thing. And our firm is now specializing in it because we've done so much of it at this point. And I want you guys, I share that as one of the top tips is I want you guys to stay out of legal hot water. So make sure you have the proper business formation, either an LLC or a corporation. Make sure you have your legal documents, contracts, purchase terms, and all that in place. And then third, also understand intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, how that works and how you can make sure that you're following the law. Oh my gosh, thank you for all of that. The terms, like the contracts, that took me way too long to get established. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how I even got it started. I realized that I was allowing myself to be walked all over. Yeah. In my contract, I even say what my standard hours are. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say I always work my standard hours. Yeah. They're in my contract. Mm-hmm. And if I work outside of those, like... I have made a point. I mean, even right now, my Skype shows me as offline. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you bring that up because when it comes to, I'm just going to say contracts. I hate using that term because it sounds so like scary, but a purchase terms is a contract. If you know, so anytime you have a contract, don't just look at it as this scary document. It's outlining the expectations between you and the person buying into your product or service. It's 
setting boundaries, like you just said, it's setting expectations and it's protecting both of you. I think that's the big thing is that entrepreneurs tend to shy away from the use of contracts and the use of terms because they're scared to drive away a consumer or they don't understand how to do it. They don't understand how to get one, which the only right answer is a lawyer, by the way. And it just, it's a lot of fear driven. It's the fear that the consumer will not buy into them. It's a fear because they don't know how to use it because of the unknown, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm trying to help protect you guys. And my response to this in this fear always is, why be scared? Consumers are faced with purchase terms everywhere. When you use Amazon, eBay, you know, Walmart, you log on to Facebook, they're using terms, you know, there's all sorts of terms everywhere when they download a song off of iTunes. So this isn't foreign Mm -hmm. to your consumers. This isn't coming out of left field. In fact, there's many consumers who in their studies that show it builds their confidence in you. They see you as more professional, they have confidence that they're protected. And it just makes it easier for them to press that buy button or sign that contract when they know that they have recourse if something happens. Absolutely. I have clients who are so excited to begin, but they want that contract in their hand before they will get started. Mm -hmm. And that is totally fine with me. Actually, the second reason that I really got into it was because of scope creep. Oh, yes. I was on a vacation visiting my family, if you can call that a vacation. Do you understand that? Yeah, I totally understand that. (laughs) And I actually had a, no longer a client, send me a suicide threat that if I didn't do such and such while I was on vacation, that he was going to kill himself. And it was completely outside. Like the project had already stretched way beyond what we had agreed to initially. It Mm -hmm. ended up costing me thousands of dollars because I had to bring extra team members in to get the work done. But I lacked the confidence at that point to say no. And I didn't have a terms and conditions. I didn't have a good contract. We hadn't signed anything. So I had no recourse. Well, maybe I did. Maybe you can share some enlightenment on that. But I was like, are you serious? I'm on vacation and you're going to send me a suicide threat. I ended up doing the work or delegating it. But I was like, never again, never again. This is what you get. Mm -hmm. This is what we agree to. This is how we're moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I also love how you brought up the copyright infringement. I have heard of so many entrepreneurs who have gone into other people's programs downloaded all the content, rebranded it and sold it as their own. Mm -hmm. Not okay. And also I've had clients who have gone onto Google search for an image, right click, saved it, sent it to me and said, use this. Yep. And like, I will ask them now, where did you get this? Because do I have liability if I use that in any of the marketing assets that I create for clients? Or does that fall back on them? Well, if they're actively using it in marketing, it could be both. I mean, you could because you're getting paid for the services because the threshold for copyright infringement, well, not the threshold. If you, The very first thing you have to look at is it this being used in a commercial nature. You're getting paid to create that for them. So I think arguably, yes, if I was the representing the copyright owner of that image, I probably would just go after the person that's actively using it. But it doesn't mean that you would be escape any liability And and that's what's really difficult is that when you are in a position like you're in, you may not know where that image is coming from. You know, your client could lie to you, but that would end up being your defense. You would say, they told me it was their image or they had the rights, you know. Copyright infringement is a very intricate area of the law that not a lot of people talk about because there's not a lot of lawyers that actually understand it. It is a very nuanced area, very intricate. And the copyright laws themselves are so far behind technology that is actually a really fun area of law to be in. And I say fun, obviously, because I'm an attorney and I enjoy it. But it's information that needs to get out there. So when you're working with clients and they bring you an asset like that and they want you to use it, I mean, you need to ask these questions. Do you have the proper rights to use this? You don't have to be rude about it. Just educate them and say, hey, you're not able to use this on a commercial-based feed. And I think the reason that we've gotten to where we've gotten of people just snagging images, and I use image just as an example. It could be any of the things that I listed, like a logo, a slogan, text, um, video, it could be audio, it could be music. But we've gotten to this point where people just take this intellectual property and use it as their own because, well, multiple reasons. One, under the copyright laws, there's a fair use exemption. And basically, if you are using it personally, but not commercially, 
that's okay. So if I went and snagged an image off the internet and just shared it on my personal Facebook page, it's not commercially based in any way, I'm not soliciting any business, that's fair use more than likely and I'm going to be okay. Well, the lines get blurred because people see that happening that capacity. They're like, well, why can't I do that and put it on my Instagram that directly promotes and links my website? And the other thing too, I was just having this conversation this morning with my partner actually, is that a lot of these social media sites are almost providing tools to facilitate <laughs> copyright infringement. Yeah. Which is so funny because I'd love like to have that conversation tool, yeah. with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, the yeah. share tool, the mm-hmm. regram apps that are available out there. And and oftentimes those type of functions automatically apply the credit, right, to the person that had originally posted it. But one of the very important things in copyright is that if I take your image and I go and post it on my commercial Instagram and I credit you, but I don't have permission, I still can be liable for copyright infringement. Attribution of the person that owns that image or that video is not enough to take me out of infringement. And that's a huge misconception. So guys, if you've got an Instagram feed or Facebook feed and you're thinking, no crap, I've been taking photos, but I've been crediting, so I thought it was good, you might want to go clean it up. Thank you for mentioning that. One of my nieces actually, no, I didn't go after her for copyright infringement. Oh, of course. <laughs> she liked one of the quotes that I put on my Instagram a few years ago. And so she screenshot it and put it on her own. So mm-hmm. I just nicely said, you know, I just want you to be aware that there are laws. Sure, go ahead and do it with mine. But you can't be doing this with other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listeners, if you're wondering where you can go, like I just want to throw a couple suggested sites out there. I hope you don't mind, Rachel. Yeah, go. Uh, Pexels and Unsplash.com. I'll put all these in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP412. Pexels and Unsplash are great for images. Audio Jungle, although not free, is great for audio clips or for music. And I use them. Actually, my first podcast jingle came from Audio Jungle. And there's so many others. Like, I think Pexels might even have video clips that people can use now. But you just oh. need to know where you can go and get royalty-free images or whatever type of resources you're wanting. Some of them are free. Some of them are not. But you just need to know where to look. And even then, I still would be a little wary about it. Yeah. I really recommend to people. Because you never know who's submitting those to those sites, right? You never truly know if it's the person that photograph the image. And I've gone where I've reached out to a couple of contributors to those sites and I now work with them one-on-one separately. I also recommend that if you're trying to create assets online for your marketing, hire a photographer or start learning photography yourself. I have the skill because yes. I also run a business, but it definitely is helpful. And you know, another way I look at it too, don't just grab an image because think about not only are you opening yourself up to copyright infringement, but you're also closing a door to a potential network. Like if you just reach out so funny because I teach this guys, it's all over my Instagram, my podcast everywhere. And I still have people who will snag my images and they will post it and they will credit me and think all is good. And I just think to myself, this isn't someone's name, just an example. Had Jane reached out to me and asked to use the image, I would have said, sure. And maybe let's see what relationship we can create in the future. But now I don't have any desire to even try to cultivate a relationship mm-hmm. until we work this out to see, because obviously it was probably just a innocent mistake, but ignorance of the law is not a defense. So to me, just look at it as a potential networking opportunity. You see an image you really like, reach out to the creator. Yeah, this is so not a case of ask for forgiveness later. No, and I'm going to throw a little fear into the listeners because copyright infringement cases can cost you forty to $50,000 in just legal fees, okay? Legal fees, potentially. That's not even including the damages, the money you would have to pay the person that you infringed upon. So it's very costly, very expensive. It's not something to mess with. No, not at all. I have to go back to the protecting our company by properly organizing ourselves. Mm-hmm. You and I need to have a further conversation because I don't know that I am, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. I was a DIY person. So that would probably mean, no, I didn't do it properly, right? 
<laughs> and it's not that it's improper. So just by acting as a business, you're a business. It's just really more about the specifics of making sure that you're protected properly mm-hmm. and that you have that liability shield up. And especially for us where we have families, this is probably our sole source of income. Really important to protect that. Yeah, we don't want it to rip our house right from underneath us, right? I'm an mm-hmm. Infusionsoft certified partner. So one of the things that we got impressed upon us, one of the many things was you don't take bot lists and put them in your app. Whatever your email platform is, you don't take lists of people who did not consent to be on your list and put them into your list. Mm-hmm. And I had a client who wanted me to do just that. And I said, no. And she fired me. Oh, no. Because it could cost me 25000 and it could cost her 25000 I'm not interested in that. So she sued me. But I actually defended myself and used the can spam law. I know this is not copyright, right? Yep. But there right. are still laws. Yep. So listeners, when you connect with somebody new on LinkedIn, that does not mean they have given you their consent to be on your email newsletter list. Nope. Stop adding people. Like, how often does that happen to you, Rachel? You connect with somebody on LinkedIn and all of a sudden you get an email from them. You know, I'm going to watch it now because I'm not entirely sure. I do know that I get tons of LinkedIn direct messages, which is not in violation of Can Spam Act like we're talking about here, but it just makes me never want to work with these people when they literally message me every day an advertising piece. And I'm like, you hadn't even tried to get to know me. I don't want to buy your stuff. Right. I think even if it was not a violation of law to add someone to a Can Spam Act, you're automatically going to be polarizing them away from you through unauthorized, you know, unsolicited information. Mm -hmm. My favorite, and this is said with facetiousness or sarcasm, whichever one best fits the bill right here, is the start your own can of business newsletters that I get added to. There's at least a couple a week. Oh my gosh. Like, where in my LinkedIn profile, because I know that's where we connected, I can go back and see. Right. Where would you think that I would want to be added to this list? But there are companies out there who people mm-hmm. sign up with that can pull your LinkedIn contacts and put them into your list. Mm-hmm. So just please stop, quote, borrowing assets that aren't yours and adding people to your list. Mm-hmm. What was the first internal team member that you added or was it the client that you had? I'm trying to think. Okay, I do know this. It was probably about the same time when I was drowning. When I was putting all the sand in the vase first and the rock, trying to fit the rocks in later, I went through and identified what are the biggest time sucks? What are the things that I don't necessarily need to be doing? And I shared the household stuff already, but on the business side of it, it was answering customer service emails. Now let's differentiate that from client emails of people who actually need like me to answer, to advise on things or for that only I can answer. But it was customer service emails of people asking, do you have a blog post on this? Or where can I get my download? I need to reset my password or all that, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And the question that I learned to ask myself, and I still do this. And it's so funny because my right hand, she still asks me this, do my fingers have to press that button? And I was falling under this trap of that it's the Rachel Branky brand and that I have to be the one that answers everything. And these customers are going to be so offended if I don't answer. So it's funny you bring up Disney because one of my big aha moments was we were on a trip to Disney and I'm in the bathroom answering customer service emails. And I thought to myself, (laughs) this is awful. Mm -hmm. This is awful that I am. And I'm trying to like get service. It's like no service. I'm standing on the toilet. It was a whole thing and it was not pretty. I'm not proud of it, but I'm happy that I had that moment to go I need to hire someone to do email. So for me, that was my first real team member that has done emails. That was the first official team member. And it's funny because the majority of people on my team have come out of my audience. Like my right hand, my exec assistant, Pam, she was one of my very first students in my online courses back when they were awful because we learn and we grow and we change. But she has stuck with me since the beginning and finding people that are loyal is super difficult. You can't teach loyalty. I can teach someone how to upload something to WordPress or post to Instagram. I can't teach loyalty and I can't teach someone to learn how I tick, what makes me happy, what my preferences are, what my voice is. And so I, when we're looking for team members, just even if it's just email like that, I'm looking for someone that is really out of my audience as much as possible. Yeah, I so appreciate that. I had actually hired a web developer 
last year, a web designer. And the person went missing and came back and apologized this year. And I made the mistake of giving them a second chance. There was a short-term deadline, like within a couple days, and they went missing again. Oh, no. And they want another chance. And when I started my business in 2012, I did not know how to stand up for myself. I would just let everybody, team members, clients, everybody walk all over me, even vendors. I still struggle with this. And I think it's because we have a heart for people. We do. But at what point do we just say no? So actually, I'm very proud of myself this past weekend. I said no. You know, this was a very crucial deadline. And had I known that you just weren't going to do the work, then I could have gotten onto it right away. But Mm -hmm. I waited two days. And I know two days might not sound like a long time. But when my schedule is already full, yes, two days. I know you understand. But for listeners, like, no, two days is a lot of time that I could have been getting it done. So what actually bothered me a little bit more was that what we were working on is leading to a lot more work. Like it was actually a sales page that I wanted him to develop. And there is already a lot more work coming in off of it where more sales pages have to be developed for the clients that are coming in through that one sales page. So like 30 of them. And I was like, oh, great. I have somebody lined up. Well, all of a sudden they're gone. Do you think I'm going to hire you or keep you on board to take care of 30 more clients when mm-hmm. you can't even take care of me? So, you know, you actually bring up a really good point. And this is something we've been talking and we've touched on a little bit about like outsourcing home tasks or tasks that you need in your business. However, I think that there is a rampant issue in the business sphere of everyone screaming outsource, 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 but they're not talking about something very specific, kind of like what you just touched on a second ago. I am a firm believer that the best CEOs, the best entrepreneurs, the best leaders in business are ones that have touched every task in their business. They may not truly fully be able to code a website or do taxes or any of that, but they have touched and understand so that they have a value. They recognize they have a value in that job. So you know how much time it may take someone that you hire, the value of what they should be paid, but also so that you can make decisions. You're able to pick up and like in your situation, let's just say, for example, maybe it was WordPress, okay? Getting to know WordPress so that if you needed to on crunch time, it's not optimal to always be designing, but you may have been able to at least put up a low-hanging fruit sales page or knowing enough about where they were in the project and what you wanted and what you needed to be able to get someone in to fill the gap really quickly. The downfall I see with many entrepreneurs is they fall victim to this idea of outsource, 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 that they literally take the task and they just hand it blindly off to somebody and there's such great risk, like you just outlined. And it does a lot more things. And it makes it so that you're not able to make confident decisions that helps fuel the business forward to keep it on the trajectory you want. And you have lack of value for that position. You don't truly know what, you know, how they should be compensated or rewarded or incentivized. So yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because entrepreneurs completely overlook that in this whole conversation about outsourcing. Oh, yeah, they do. I think along with shiny object syndrome in buying stuff, for our business, oh, yeah. we can get shiny object syndrome for things that we can offer that we don't have the slightest clue about how to actually offer it or mm-hmm. how to sell it because we don't, like you were just saying, if I didn't know a thing about WordPress design and development, personally, I wouldn't be out there selling website design and development. But I've had clients in the past who did because they had me on board. But when the relationship wasn't there, they continued to offer it and they didn't have anybody else. I just mm-hmm. had to put out there because this is going to make me sound bad. I had a client who just started cussing at me really bad because mm-hmm. I would not work on Thanksgiving when she was American. And we did actually have a client agreement. I said, this was not part of our agreement. It's an American holiday. I want to spend it with my family. And all of a sudden, all these F-bombs are dropped. And I just said, you know what? Um, I think our time is done. Mm-hmm. But I found out that later she had ended up selling 20 web design packages and took the money and run because she no. didn't have anybody to build it. But rather than take it down, well, I don't know, because I wasn't part of the story anymore. Mm-hmm. I heard it through the grapevine. But listeners, I just don't think personally that, just like Rachel said, if we don't know how to do it ourselves, then we can't really grasp. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that, you know, 
Mark Zuckerberg knows how to do everything in his business, but now he's at least gotten the managers on the huge team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he's got those multiple layers of support. But when we're starting small, like when I'm a team of five and there's one person, like I better know how to do what I'm offering unless I've got multiple backups. Well, you know, and that's the one thing, the hardest part of business for me has been management because I have a struggle between this type A control freak DIY mentality as most entrepreneurs have, I think, and being able to effectively communicate. I feel like I'm really good at communicating when it comes to marketing, but when it comes to management, it's something I've really had to learn. And so I've been very thankful that my, for the most part, the team members I've had over the years offer me a lot of grace because they know I'm learning. But I found that in order to effectively manage, you have to understand what your employees or your team members are going through. And I still find myself sometimes going, God, what has taken her so long to do X, Y, and Z? Then I have to remind myself, well, the reason you gave it to her is because it would have taken you three hours. So it's probably taken her three hours. And then I kind of step back, check myself and go, okay, you're right. You're right. But I wouldn't be able to do that. And in the beginning, I didn't really do that. And like I said, I've been thankful to have team members that are very upfront and gracious with me to kind of help me learn to be a manager. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned through this. And it's a balance though, because there are tasks that you're not going to be able to know how to do every single thing of like legal stuff. You shouldn't be doing your own contracts, but you should know enough about it to be confident in the decisions. When the lawyer asks you, do you want me to do this or this or this? When they propose options to Mm -hmm. you, just, it is a balance guys. So don't just completely get rid of it, but also don't completely hold on to some all tasks, kind of balance it out to see what works best. What are a couple of the tools that help your team run successfully? We use Trello is a huge one. And then also Help Scout because I have multiple brands and businesses. Uh, I have multiple email inboxes and it allows for us to be able to write notes. We can see customer service orders. We can tag. Also has workflows so we can do proper follow-ups. What else do we use? We try to use Slack. We don't really use Slack as much. It's just kind of easier to use Facebook, which is a really bad answer. But we have a really active, we have multiple very active Facebook communities. One of them has about 50,000 members. So We do have some admin Facebook groups that are just for us that we Mm. use to keep track of stuff. Dropbox is another huge one. So we all can upload to that, see changes in real time. And then we also have a combination of workflows, things that you can do with like Zapier or if this, then that, that will kind of push different things. So we kind of connect a lot of that together. Oh, Calendly is another one as well. Actually, that one's super huge. I should have mentioned that one first. In order for me to get booked for something, I have like eight different calendars and it, <laughs> it would drive Pam crazy if she had to check all eight calendars all the time. But this way, Calendly kind of pulls them all together, all the Google calendars and kind of can see when I have time for what. And that way we can effectively make plans. If we have a big project coming up, we can block it off or get me booked for client stuff. I Calendly is a huge one. That. Yes. And I was over here laughing when you said Slack and that you don't really use it because my team doesn't use it either. We tried. We tried. I know. We tried. And we don't use Facebook, but we do use Skype. So, yeah. yeah. And I don't know. It's just you find the tool that works for you and you stick with it. Maybe we just weren't doing Slack. Do you do Slack the way that, you know, it was intended to be done, but. Some people rave about it. I mean, I know a couple fellow business owners who use it and they're like, we thrive on it. And it does integrate with everything that I'm using. I just, I don't know. We just got to the point that it was more cumbersome than it was. And maybe it's because we are a smaller team. We are a very intimate team. And I'm not always intimately talking with, we have a lot of independent contractors who work for us too. So I'm not the first line with them. And it just became inefficient when we would have someone on for one project, but then have to set up a Slack thing. And it just became a whole thing. Yeah, I agree. And we use Trello too. And the only thing I have to say that I don't like is having to use a power up to get repeated tasks. Mm. But I've also started using Focuster now, which if I star a email in my Gmail, because we use Gmail now, or if I create a new card and it assigns a task to me, then Zapier will automatically pull it and schedule that into my calendar using Focuster. Mm-hmm. And I would love to say that I schedule everything out 
I do. Do I follow the schedule? Not necessarily, but I've gotten better in the last six mm-hmm. years of at least blocking out my time. And you know, that's a good point. Giving yourself grace on that. Cause I used to stress out being like, I have to respond to this today. I have to meet this deadline today. And unless it's something really hard set guys, the luxury of being the boss is that you get to be the boss. Like unless it's like a client or a business partner that's waiting on something for you and you want to honor that deadline that you gave to them, things don't have to be done right away. And that's been a 10 year in the making. I was about to ask (laughs) you, how long did that take? Because it took me four years to figure that one out. I still have to remind myself Mm -hmm. though. Sometimes I fall into old habits. Now, how long into your business day is it before you check your email or respond to messages? So this is a little tricky because I get up with the kids. Well, my husband does too. We get up, we feed them because it's nut house in the morning. And about the time that they're all eating, I will do some emails that need absolutely responded to in the morning or like team members that need me to answer a couple of things. Because after that, um, once the kids leave for school or their morning activities, I go and I do whatever athletic training that I need to for the day. That's my first few hours of the morning. And then I come back. So it's probably about mid-morning, 10, 11 o'clock, maybe 12. Then I'll get to the other emails. But we relatively stick to this. But our goal is inbox zero is our mission every day. At least even if we're responding to someone to say, hey, got your email I'm going to research this and I'll get back to you. So at least the client or the consumer knows that we're working on it. And it also keeps my heart rate from going through the roof when I open up an email or inbox and there's like 500 unread emails. So Uh I hear that. I actually put a picture of my dream house. Yes. On the background of my inbox. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to see that right now. I have 225 unread emails. It's been a crazy crazy couple months. But today I've actually cleaned out 400 emails out of my inbox just by like, delete, delete, file, file, I don't need you anymore. I didn't mean to go back into this. But one thing that I've impressed upon team members and on clients alike is to save emails. And I would love to know your opinion on this. But I learned in my last job, before I became an entrepreneur this round, that my boss would often refer back to old emails. Mm-hmm. And w- thankfully, one of my team members just said, keep every email. He's always going to go back to it. So when I started this business, I actually just started keeping all client emails. And it ended up saving me. Because while I was moving into my house, I had told my client that I was going to be moving and I needed, you know, a few days off. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that make it sound like a job, though? Like, not that I will be taking a couple of days off and I'll be unavailable, but I need a couple of days off. Like I, I'm not in that position anymore. Like I won't be available these days anyway. So I need somebody to cover these tasks that are part of my daily routine. Okay, great. I'm going to reassign them. I kept those emails where the tasks were reassigned actually within Trello. We'll come back and found that she told the rest of the team that I had disappeared and she refused mm-hmm. to pay my invoice, but I had all the emails where the conversation had ever, actually taken place. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where she actually told me to contact her attorney if I wanted to get paid. Oh my gosh. Because they had all the emails. The attorney actually looked at the emails and said, you know what, you have grounds here. I'm actually going to pay your invoice myself. And then I'll go to her and get the money. Huh? Because he didn't want to take his time when he knew that if it went to court. But how do you feel about that? Like, do you keep emails? Okay, good. Unless it's like spam type emails. Yes. I keep everything the way I look at it and I'll give us some tips on it too. But the way I look at it for the reasons that you said you need to keep it and digital storage is so cheap now, there's no reason we shouldn't. So all contracts, all taxes, all email communications, and you can set it up if you're using Gmail based. So I don't recommend at gmail.com email addresses, but you can use the Google apps and have like at rachelbranke.com email address, but you still check it through Google. And by doing it that way through Gmail, you can set up if this, then that or Zapier, and it can actually store all your emails into an Excel format. And then you can ex- have that exported and saved in your Dropbox or your Google Drive for you. So with, or you can do it as PDFs, I think wasn't the other option. I opted for the Excels just because it was easier to have. And then you can sort and find things a lot quicker. So that way, all your emails could be saved in your inbox, but then they're also can all be saved, exported and saved externally. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. 
it pains me to see business owners who are still using at Gmail or at AOL. Uh-huh. Because I just made the shift last year, not from using at Gmail or at AOL, but I actually just made the shift into Gmail. And I sort of kicked myself in the bum for taking f- three, four years to do that. It has alleviated so much pain. I, I won't say who I was using, but let's just say I was limited to my devices. Uh-huh. And the ability to check from anywhere and still have it is amazing. And also for my team to get in. And it's, yeah. yeah. And it costs, I believe, like a whole $5 a month. $10 a month. Yeah, it's super cheap. Yeah. And this is going to sound mean, but if you can't afford the $5 a month, then I want you to look at what you're doing. The other things that you're doing in your business that maybe you shouldn't be or in your personal life, like the grocery shopping, so that you can spend more time on your client stuff so that you can afford the 5 to $10 a month. Yeah. Agreed. Rachel, this has been an absolute pleasure. I don't even remember like what I really wanted to talk about when we got on today, <laughs> but you've covered so much and I just really want to say thank you. So thank you. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a really good discussion. I do like the focus on the family and the balance stuff. Uh, That's definitely an area I don't get to talk about all that much. People mostly want the legalities, but yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I want to have you back again to talk more about the legalities because, oh my gosh, I'll just tell you and the, the audience right now that I set up my own, I don't even know if it's LLC or LLP. All I did was file it with the state. I probably shouldn't be putting it out there, but I know there was so much more I needed to do. So, but you know what? I think vulnerability is good, and you, mm-hmm. and most states, you go to them and say, you know, I'm fixing myself now. They're going to be like, okay, well, we're proud of you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I burn dinner, and, and I don't necessarily do things the right way on any given day, but mm-hmm. I have fun with it. Positive productivity is not about perfection. Rachel, where can listeners find you online, connect, and get to know more about what you do? Yeah. So the mothership website is rachelbrinke.com. All my social media handles are that as well. From there, you can find all the different niche brands. I have one for photographers, one for online entrepreneurs, and another for fitness brands. You can also find on that website, my nonprofit, Archers Advocates, where we're looking to change legislation to protect our pets better. But again, if you guys have any questions at all, like I said at the beginning of the episode, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to discuss. I actually do all of my own authentic engagement on social media. So if you message me there, you're going to get me and not a team member. So please use it, reach out. And I would love to talk to you guys. Oh, I absolutely love that you do that. That's actually why a lot of my social media is often empty is because I want to do it myself. And Mm -hmm. yeah, when it gets posted, it gets posted and it will be meaningful when it does. Exactly. Listeners, you can find all of Rachel's social media links at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp412. Again, Rachel, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners? I think the biggest thing is don't be scared to make changes in the business, learning the legal stuff, making the strategic decisions so that you can expand your time. It's scary. Let a little control go. It will help your business trajectory so much more and make you happier in life in general. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.